We are the MarketScale creator community, and these are our stories. Join us as we tell the stories of the bold creators that are challenging the status quo in the world of business media. This is the Creator's Manifesto, the podcast of the MarketScale creator community. Hello and welcome to the Creator's Manifesto, the official podcast of the MarketScale creator community. I'm your host, James Preble. Thank you again for being here today. The Creator's Manifesto is a podcast that celebrates the talented individuals that are pushing B2B marketing forward. The filmmakers, artists, and marketers who are elevating the ways that businesses are engaging their communities. The talented individuals behind the art that is changing the way that business gets done. I am honored to be joined today by one of these incredible individuals, Chris Murray. Chris is a Los Angeles-based filmmaker who has worked on pieces for Netflix, Amazon Prime, Adult Swim, NBC, and Discovery, just to name a few from his impressive portfolio. Chris is also a United States Air Force veteran with 13 years of service to his name, a graduate of Temple University. Chris, thank you so much for being here today, sir. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me on the show. No, no, the, the pleasure is truly all mine. And Chris, I think that the timing around this podcast is really perfect. You are a filmmaker, and as I mentioned, you're an Air Force veteran. The number one movie in America right now is about military pilots. I know that they're, they're technically Navy pilots, but we're not going to let the nuances of the Department of Defense ruin a good podcast info. It really, it really feels like this is the summer of Chris Murray. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Ironically, uh, my career was working on fighter jets in the Air Force. Um, not F-18s, but F-15s. So similar, similar airframes. I'm going to admit, and I'm going to also guess that unless you stumble across uh, a civilian that just happens to be an aerospace engineer, that they would never be able to tell you the difference between an F-18 or an <laughs> F-18. So you, you could have told me either. And, uh, but that, that is, that's wild. <laughs> have you, have you seen the new, uh, Top Gun movie yet? I have not. So I've been pretty busy. And then I was planning on going to see it on Friday because I, I do want to see it. And the only available screenings were not IMAX. And I was like, oh, we'll wait for an IMAX screening. And we missed them for that day. And now Jurassic Park has like taken over all the IMAX screenings. So it's my goal this week to hopefully find one still on a big screen or I'll have to settle for a normal size screen. But it feels like that movie like calls for a larger screen. I'd agree completely, and I'm going to be perfectly transparent here. I'm kind of shocked by the reviews that have been coming in on it uh, and and the people that I've been talking to. It feels like a movie you need to see in IMAX, and I mean, I, I, I've got to go see it. You know, I, I it somehow got around the typical kind of reboot, uh, I don't know, curse is the word, yeah. or, or whatever, what people usually think a reboot is going to be. It appears from reviews that this movie is very much not. Yeah, yeah. No, I, to be quite honest, I didn't have any interest to see it off hearing like, oh, they're making Top Gun again. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. right. It's like, yeah, it's like we already b been in that well. We don't need to go back to it, you know. And then you see everyone saying how great it is. And it's like, oh, OK, maybe I maybe I should go see this movie. There you have it. Now, the the follow up question about, you know, so Top Gun being out, I think this might be the 
the most important question that I asked you today on the podcast, what everyone really wants to get some insight into, is there as much volleyball played in the United States military as the Top Gun franchise would would want me to believe? Because I'm I I feel like there's just a you know professional league of, of volleyball players going on within our within the, the US military. I will say that um throughout my entire career working on the flight line, I never once came across anything volleyball related. <laughs> Any any push to join a team, any suggestion to do it. But so I, while I am an Air Force veteran, I still serve in the Air National Guard. So I still do it part time. But since then, I've gone from the air side to the space side. So I work with the Space Force now part time. And I recently was just away for a schooling a training in Colorado, um, a, uh, like an advanced space training. And we had like scheduled physical training and they left it up to us. They're like, you guys kind of run your own training. It's mandatory. You have to do it, but we'll let you guys do whatever you guys feel like doing. And the first thing they wanted to do was set up volleyball. And so the first thing we did was play volleyball. And I was like, that's weird. I'm used to like physical training and stuff. Space, space does it different. Right. So we're doing volleyball and then we go and they're like, we'll just do this every week. This will be our PT. And then we couldn't do it because all the courts were reserved like weeks in advance because of all the volleyball going on. And I was like, okay, well, I guess it just wasn't where I was. <laughs> <It wasn't> on- <laughs> but well, as far as Space Force goes and, and the Space Force base I was at, volleyball is all the rage. <laughs> there, there you have it. That, that was the It is question. fun. It is yeah. fun. I had fun. I, I was like, I don't want to play volleyball. And then I was like, oh, yeah, we should play this more often. Nice, nice. That's good to hear. And I'm glad that it's, uh, we found that at least there is some shade of truth to how much volleyball Top Gun wants me to think that there is going on. Yeah, maybe Top Gun inspired it. People started yeah. rewatching it and they're like, we should play volleyball again. <laughs> Sand volleyball is underrated fun. I, we, uh, Used to have the opportunity to play a lot myself. Um, we could do, and we'll we'll have to follow up with a dedicated podcast episode about sand volleyball. Maybe like three months down the road when you've improved it, we, you played a little bit more. Yeah. Are you doing four it's summertime four? here? Exactly. They, they created it here in California, I think, like Santa Monica, right? So I can uh, I can go go train up there at the OG where it all started. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, in sand volleyball, it's got to be in a warm beach. It can't, so I'm, I, I don't want to think that, I don't believe the Jersey Shore was where it was born, you know? So <laughs> uh, that Santa Monica is, is a far believable origin story for me. And uh, uh, all jokes aside, you know, from uh, myself and from everyone here at Market Scale, thank you for your service and uh, 13 oh, years. No, uh, thank you. Uh, truly, truly from uh, everyone here at the organization uh, that is an impressive career and record. And uh, we, we talked a little bit, the, the origin story there, sand volleyball. It's actually kind of a great segue into uh, our first question and something my colleague Tyler Kern talked about on our initial episode was that he was so curious in, as we did this series, learning the origin stories of our incredibly talented creative partners. And I think for you and in your background, now that we've talked a little bit about it, that's an especially interesting first question is, you know, what is your origin story, if you will, uh, Chris, as, as a creator, you know, did you 
always want to be a filmmaker? Was it something you were doing in conjunction with your military service? I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, that's that's a good question because I don't think I did always want to be uh, a filmmaker. I always enjoyed filming. I always had a camera in hand. I grew up with it, but I never considered it as a career. I didn't know anyone that uh, ever did it. So in in my mind, it was just like kind of hobbyist or yet to know somebody. It just wasn't even in my mind. I uh, grew up pretty much blue collar family. So it was more like get your normal nine to five, hands on manual labor type jobs. Um, and that's kind of where I thought. And then uh, I, as I was growing up, um, I had like one of those big RCA cameras like you put, you actually put the VHS tape in it, like a blank one and record straight to that thing, like I, a news camera. Yeah. I don't want to show my age, but I remember them. Yeah. I remember yeah. them very much. With like the lens cap that was on the string. It would just like <laughs> dangle around while you're holding this beast. And I would just run around filming all day, nothing, you know, just every, anything and nothing when I was young. And then just take the VHS right out and put it in the VCR and rewatch it back. And that was like, amazing to me. So I used to always do that as I got older. Um, started filming my, me and my friends coming up with like little shorts, but this was all just for our own entertainment, you know? Um, and then I got into skateboarding and a huge part of the culture of skateboarding is, is the camera. And then not only filming the skateboarding, but a lot of skate videos would have little sh- short films. Um, Spike Jones, uh, big time director, her, um, and he came from skateboarding. So, and he's he's been filming skateboarding for years. So, I grew up with Spike Jones's films before Spike Jones was Spike Jones. Um, before like Where the Wild Things Are and uh, being John Malkovich. And he would create these little short sequences and kind of like these little short stories in between the skate videos, and that inspired me to do the same. And I I actually have right here. This was like the first camera that I would say that I personally bought with my own money. And this, it's still here. It's like a little Sony Handycam. It's a mini DV. And this thing, I love this thing. It still turns on and works, believe it or not. And That's I loved awesome. it because, uh, yeah, it has a Zeiss lens, whatever that, <laughs> but it was, it was great at shooting in low light. Sony was always king at that, even back in the, this day, just cause it had like a, a night shot mode. So you flip it. Everything would turn green, you know, it was straight up night vision, but, <laughs> but I love this thing and it allowed me to film at all times, all the time. And, but I still never considered it as a, as a career at all. I, it was still all hobbyists. It was what I like to do. I worked many odd jobs. I worked at ice cream shops. I've worked at CVS in the pharmacy department. I've worked at UPS loading trucks. I, I was just work. And then I'd be like, I can't wait to get off to go film and do stupid stuff with my friends. And then I got to a point where, and I also grew up in Philadelphia and, but in my, and then I grew up in Delaware, but in my teenage years, we moved out. I would say my junior year of high school, we moved out to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So this is middle of no town, uh, middle of nowhere, Amish country. So I especially didn't know anybody that was doing film or working in the industry. And I remember I applied to Temple University um, to see if I could go to school for film because I was getting convinced as I was reaching the end of high school, um, maybe this is something I could do because I never planned or considered it. And then I applied to Temple and I uh, 
I got accepted, but I like the way the financing worked out was like your parents make enough to like they have to pay this much. But even though they made enough on paper, they didn't make enough to like actually pay it. So I was kind of like, I can't afford it. And I started looking at other options. And then I was like, well, I could join the military. And then I would be able to have money because if you serve four years, they'll pay for schooling. Right. And then once I did that and I was working on fighter jets, I remember it was like, I was like in the middle of Africa and it was, it was a desert. Um, actually, I wasn't in the middle. Technically, I was in the Horn of Africa. But I was in Africa, and it was a desert, and then it was downpour raining out of nowhere, and it turned into like a mud flood because it never rains, so that when it does rain, it's just mud everywhere. And it was like chaos. And I'm just sitting on the flight line working on like a $40 million aircraft in Africa, and I thought to myself like, if I could do this, like if I'm in this scenario that I would never imagine, that I never thought possible, and I had no idea or any connection to be like, oh yeah, one day I'll be in Africa in the middle of a rainstorm with mud coming everywhere, launching fighter jets off into the air. And if I could do that, then I could do whatever I want. And I applied to Temple again and got in. And then I was like, okay, I'm getting out of active duty and I'm actually going to pursue this film thing. And so I went eventually fast forward from this little camera to a red. So I was able to like work my way up to an actual professional uh, film camera. And they're, ironically, they're not much different in size. <laughs> my old red was huge, you know, it takes so much. And now we went back down to small. So that's more my realm of running around and keeping it lightweight because that's where I came from. But yeah, it's kind of like a weird windy story, but it basically was like, I want to do film, but I Never considered it as a job. It's just fun. Then I was like, oh, maybe I could do it. Oh, I can't. I'll join the Air Force. And I was like, oh, well, this is what I do now. So film's still just like a backdoor hobby. And then it's like, wait, but if I could do this, and I, I could certainly do film. That can't be that much crazier, you know? And so I've been able to, like, juggle both now somehow. No, I mean, I, A, that's, that's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing. And, and, and B, that, that really resonates because I think that, you know, the work that you did, it's like, can it get more, you can't really elevate the level of responsibility in a job outside of working maintenance on aircraft. I mean, the cost beyond, those are your, you know, fellow Air Force team members flying those aircraft. So you want to make sure that they are uh, in perfect working condition, everything like that. I feel like uh, you definitely would, you know, after that experience, be like, really anything is achievable. Yeah, 100%. And it, it also taught me many, many skills that translated straight to the film set um, that made, like, kind of set me up ahead of time for success. Like, I'm already used to long hours, if need be. Travel, there's a lot of travel in this job. I'm already accustomed to that. Um, working at a team and also working with the team, but also working with, like, the bare minimum, like, making the most of what you have in that situation. Um, as long as attention to detail, uh, like just tons of things where it's like, it just seems like it just translates to the film world. It's like, okay, my, it's not a play now. It's this, it's a scene or it's this setup or it's this camera. And, um, I can approach it with like the same mindset and it seems to have always led to success. So I am grateful for the military's experience on me because yeah, a hundred percent made me a better person and a better filmmaker in my opinion. 
And that was, uh, you You kind of stole my thunder, full transparency. Oh. That was definitely going to be my second question, but Sorry. Uh, <laughs> perfect insight. No, 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 no. This is, this is your, this is your show, Chris. Chris, you're allowed to steal my thunder at will. But so I'll kind of go back to similar question on a little bit of a different angle. You talked about those early Spike Jones skateboarding videos. And I don't remember those specifically, but it was in the same era, what was going on in my favorite sport at the time was like these grassroots um, basketball mixtapes. And it was really changing sports media. It was just these filmmakers in New York going out to Rucker Park and they were filming, you know, guys and it eventually evolved in the and one mixtapes which really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of changed. I remember those. Exactly, exactly. They were, they were huge. Um, so you, you saw that era of this grassroots filmmaking. And we, it's since from that era to today, I'd say the grassroots filmmaking industry, because of the level of tech that you can get your hands on as a zero experience filmmaker is absolutely incredible. So it's really cool that the barrier to to entry has been lowered. But there was a production value for those, even though they weren't big budget pieces of work, that was mm-hmm. really artistic. And you can tell because they both those uh, skateboarding mixtapes and the basketball mixtapes were elevated the sports that they were focusing on. So how do you take that same, you know, grassroots passion into each time that you are on set now. Now you're a professional. You do Mm -hmm. have all this experience. How do you, I guess that same wonder time and time again of trying to do something a little bit new each time, how do you bring that aspect of your experience in filmmaking uh, to your, to your daily filmmaking responsibilities? Yeah, I guess going back to, I remember, um, the one Spike Jones skate video that he did was called Yeah Right. It was a girl skateboarding video. And the intro, the way the the skate video opens is everyone's skating. Um, it, it opens like in super slow motion, like super slow motion. Like we've never seen slow motion to this extent. So they had a high speed film camera and you could see like every little detail of the motion of the skateboard and and it slowed down how it flipped. And that was amazing. And then it transitioned to everyone used green screen on their board. So the boards were painted green, the wheels were green, everything was green. So they were skating nothing. So they're going downstairs, down handrails and it's all invisible. So it looks like they're kind of just like floating in air and, and, what, like I was so intrigued of like how they did that. They would also do like trick things where they would like green screen, like paint ramp screen. So it looked like they ollied like super high off the ground because they made things invisible. And it actually brought a lot of like tension in the skate community because people are like, they're cheating. They're pretending like they're doing stuff that they can't do. But the way I looked at it was like visually, it was so interesting. I was like, how are they doing this? So I look into it and it's like, oh, if you paint something green and then the uh, Adobe Premiere, I think it was like seven at the time. It's like you can like key it out and make things invisible. And then it kind of opened the whole different world where it's like, oh, that, and then that kind of like was like start of the YouTube error. And you were able to like actually look up how to do grassroots things that had production value, but was able to be done at home, like with little to no budget. 
that you could just like tap into. And then once we were able to start like getting creative and finding out little tiny tricks you can do, it made it to a way where our mindset now, at least for me, is like, how can I do this for the like at low cost? You know, like a lot of stuff was like you just dump and pump money into it. But most of our favorite things um, that actually have some like originality to them, in my opinion, was kind of like using what was there. And I, I, like another thing I look back on is like Clerks, um, a Kevin Smith film filmed in a convenience store. Right. $27,000 maxed out credit cards, made a movie with his friends, and it went to Sundance and it like won and made $12 million. Um, Not to mention how many careers that it made. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So so I look at stuff like that. That inspires me more than seeing a Spielberg film, 100%. Because it, it brings that like connection closer where it's like, oh, there are no barriers. Like you can get in at anywhere and then you can make the most of whatever you have in this moment. Like what do you have? What are you working with now? And now you have the internet and YouTube to be like, okay, I have this camera. What can I do with this camera? I have this editing program. What can I do with that? And just to elevate. And I don't know the way I look at it is like, you can like do so much impressive stuff. There's like a a show called film ride on YouTube that teaches you how to do like all types of VFX work. So there's so much you could do at home. And once you start tapping into that, like when you actually have money, you'll actually know how to use it effectively and put it towards more things that you might not need to dump that kind of money into, whether it's getting this type of lens you want, the type of look you want, set design, production design. That's where money can really make a difference is like building the space. But as far as like these grassroots things, that to me is inspiration to keep going and to keep creating because it's like, oh, and and it's so unique. Like, like you mentioned the AM1 mixtapes and stuff, like that is more interesting for me to watch than the NBA for some reason. Just this rugged running gun. It's like the NBA street game when that came out, the video game. Like that game was awesome. Right, I loved it. It's like awesome. what we're just playing on a court in the in the in the street. Concrete court, yeah. And so would would that kind of be the advice that if you were you meet a a young Air Force veteran who who finds you through LinkedIn, says he wants to get into filmmaking, would that kind of be your advice that you you gave him was just find that uniqueness, find that that passion? What would mm-hmm. what would be the advice that you would give to those young filmmakers who are, you know, just graduating from from Temple or from any college who are looking to get into the industry? I would immediately dissolve the worry or fear that everyone has about, is this viable? Can I do this? And like, do I need to know people? Am I good enough? I would, I would, the number one thing would be to dissolve that because you could compare anything you never thought would be possible or any accomplishment you never really put too much thought in. And if you just put in the work and you dedicate yourself to it, like you will find an avenue of success. It may not lead direct route to what you have in mind, but it'll put you on the path and you're heading in that direction. And once you're in it, you can kind of steer your career and tighten it out the way you want. But if, as far as military goes, there's a career in the military called combat camera or uh, public affairs. And that career depends. The reserve and active is combat camera and they go on planes, they go down range, they deploy and they're basically um, filming everything going on. And that's 
you're, you're paid, trained, and put in. If you're already in the military, I would say consider cross-training into that career field. And in the Air National Guard side, uh, public affairs, you're not going downrange or anything. It's more localized. You'll still travel, but you're more doing like news stories, stuff like that. So it's more of like a broadcast journalism, photography side, um, but a little bit more mellow where the other one's like kind of combat, tactical oriented, both pretty awesome career fields. And that was actually my initial plan was to cross-train in there. But I didn't have high enough scores, um, like ASVAB scores, the actual scores to get in. So I retook the test. And this was post me going to college and everything. So I, cause I didn't study for the first one. I was like, I'll just take it and whatever. I was like half not committed to joining. I was like, I'll just see if I can get in. And I did. So then I was like, okay, let me study really hard, get higher scores. And then I scored so high that I was eligible for all these like higher tier career fields. And when I saw I was eligible to go, be a satellite uh, operator in space. I was like, oh yeah, I think I'm going to go do that because I'm already doing the film thing. So I don't really need to. So then, yeah. So then I, that's what put me on this side to the space force. But um, so yeah, my advice for military veterans, really look into that career field because that can put you in the right direction, give you the experience. And you might not even need to go to college at all. You know, you could avoid that whole step. You might not even need to go to college now with YouTube, to be quite honest. Like college is more for the connections, in my opinion, right now. You can make some film connections. You can make friends and people like-minded, meet them. And it's more about the environment you're in and you're thinking, breathing this. But if you're a good self-starter, YouTube has everything you need to be a filmmaker right now. It's insane. You, you have your whole education on the internet. But just start creating and putting it out there and don't worry about being good enough because there's always someone better and always someone with more money and look at those people of look at what you don't like and make sure you don't do it or get inspired to keep going. But the, the, the artist's worst fear is the critic, right? So you want the feedback, but you don't want to hear anything negative. You just have to get rid of and dissolve that. And you see it with social media too. People are like, oh, I don't want to post this because it's not like, doesn't look good enough or doesn't fit my feet. And it's like those type of boundaries and restrictions are like kind of terrible. So just put yourself out there and just just do it. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great advice and I think uh you touched on a a, a couple really interesting things there. It is it's definitely a double-edged sword that the barrier to entry to being a creator is so low, but also that there's none of those guards against that feedback that could deter someone early off in their career who has an incredible amount of potential in their talent, but they get one, you know, nasty comment on, on a YouTube post that they put out and they never do it again. And so it, it, it destroys that right out of the gates. That's a, that's a, it's interesting how, how powerful both directions on that road, uh, the traffic flows. And then I think you stumbled upon, uh, uh, Another really interesting topic, probably something like for a, a dedicated podcast episode, I'd love to get like a round table of filmmakers in is that discussion about film school or creative, the creative industry and academia. You know, uh, I, I can't recall the podcast I heard this on, but I was, uh, the guy made a comment that, you know, film school is the worst thing that you could possibly engage in as a filmmaker because unless it is, uh, a very specific and artistically focused type of film school that, that it just kills a lot of individual creativity right in the cradle. And I don't know. I was not yeah. 
It's you interesting. Know, it, yeah, it depends. Yeah. But I think that's that's a discussion that that uh, especially with how many resources there are today outside of academia, uh, it, it'd be a, it'd be an incredible discussion. And uh, Chris, I want to close on you know mm-hmm. something that we we ask everyone on this show, and we've talked a lot of, about it. Um, but you know, what is the, the title of the show? Is is the Creators Manifesto? What is your personal Creators Manifesto that really keeps hmm. you going and, you know, pushing the envelope on your creative work, keeps you from falling into that trap of this job, however cool it is, becoming that that typical job that everyone, you know, wakes up and fears that they have to do in the morning. For Chris Murray, what is that Creators Manifesto? It's an interesting question. I, I actually never put thought into what my own manifesto is. I will say the creative mindset is peaks and valleys. It's waves. Um, when you're riding the wave, in a surfer term, if when you're riding the wave, it's the best thing in the world. You're like, I want to do this all the time. Why don't I do this every day? And then when you don't have that wave, when you don't have that creative spirit, you're just sitting out there like, what am I doing? Like, uh, like, what's the point? And what I've realized is when you're creating, you like everything works, everything falls in the line. You're, you're motivated. You, you're, uh, inspired to create more. You're like, Oh, why don't I do this all the time? I love this. And then when you're not creating, you feel bad that you're not and you want to, but you're in this state where you're like, I'll get to that edit then. Or it's like, uh, I don't feel like doing that right now. Or it's like, oh, they bring all the gear and the lights and like, oh, I'm not getting paid for this. So why I get paid for this stuff. So why do I want to go create my own thing on my free time? And it's like, if you just do it, if you just do it, like you have to turn that off. It's like, sure, you could have that mindset for anything. You could be like, I don't feel like making the bed or I don't feel like doing the dishes. That's a lot of work. But then once you're doing it, you're like, oh, this is Nothing. It's over. It's done. I'm glad I did that. Or I'm glad I made the better. Whatever you're doing, if you just bring the mindset of like, don't listen to that piece, because the creative side's so easy. Like you have a big edit, you're overwhelmed, you have a project coming up. It's like, oh my God, the last thing I want to do is dive in this. I don't even know how to start. And then once you're cruising on the edit, you're like, oh, this is perfect. I'm loving this. You're playing it back. You're seeing the fruits of your labor in front of you. So you just have to get up and get started. Um, so for me, my manifesto is I've figured out like I am happier when I'm in the middle of doing it and I'm not happy when I'm not creating. So even though it takes a lot still, like even though I do this for a living, it does take a lot to like get into that space to just like create something original or even sometimes get on set. You're like, kind of like you're thinking about everything else, but as soon as you're on set and in the flow of it, I guess you could use as a, as a term flow. It's it's the best feeling in the world, and and it's like worth all of that. So I don't know. I guess my manifesto would be to not think about at all like all the things that would prevent me from wanting to do anything, or all the hurdles that would my mental hurdles, I guess, of like kind of leaning towards like more lazy or chill side of like oh I could just take the day off if I just go and take a photo. I don't know. I don't know. I guess my manifesto is like, just go create, (laughs) just go create something, anything, whether it's taking a photo and posting it, whether it's making a stupid little TikTok or story, just do something and you'll always feel better on the inside. If you're a true creator, if that's what you love to do. 
Um, and then sometimes you'd be like, ah, this photo stinks. I don't care. I don't feel like taking a photo. It's like, just take the photo. Just do it. And then you'd be like, oh, I'm so glad I do it. Another one is I have a drone. And there'll be times where it's like, oh, I should bring the drone. It's like, I don't feel like lugging that along and flying it and throwing it up there. Forget it. And it's like, oh, no, just bring it. And then you take the drone, you fly, and then you get the footage. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I brought this. It's like, that's my manifesto. So maybe that's a personal struggle of mine where there's like a side of me that's just like, ah, we don't need to do that. Let's just enjoy the moment. And then I'm like, I should just fly the drone. If I'm even thinking about it, just fly the drone. I'm always happier. <laughs> no, I, I I think that's perfect advice, not just in the creative industry, but any industry. There are, you know, I we've got some some interns here at Market Scale, and you really you almost don't want to tell them that like you have to do those boring, you know, tedious tasks in order for the fun things in your career to be possible. And if I'm being one hundred percent transparent, was a was a lesson that I, you know, needed kind of pounded into me during my early parts of my career. So I, I think it's incredible and very applicable advice to the creative industry or really anything that you're diving into for the first time. And I, I think just do it would be the best way to surmise it. I feel like someone has that taken already, um, like yeah. might, might be trademarked by somebody, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I think it is perfect advice. And well, said. And, and, and no matter what situation you're in, you can be creative. There's a, there's a, Photographer and cinematographer named Philip Bloom out there. He's he's came from news. He would just literally record local news stories, and he gained attention because he filmed the B roll in unique ways that wasn't being done. A lot of news uh, camera people were like they kind of went through school and they picked up the camera and they kind of point where they need to, basic pan tilt, and and this guy took it to another level. And it's like okay, this is what I have to shoot. Maybe this scenario may be boring. How am I going to make that interesting so that I'm satisfied with what I'm shooting? And that kind of brings challenges that you like to overcome and think of like, okay, we just have this room. All right, I'm just going to set up the camera and be like, oh, it doesn't look good. This room sucks. It is what it is. Like, blame the environment, not me. It's like, no, you could do something. There's something you could probably do to make it interesting. Uh, play with the light. Um, play with the motion of the camera. There's things you can do. So then just look at those as little challenges. So then when you're on big sets with all the budget and money in the world, you already know. And then you're in a bad environment or bad situation. You're like, how do I get out of this? Or what do we do here? It's like, I got it. I've been in worse situations. I know how to make this look good. So look at it as it's training wheels. You know, you're in, you're in the, you're in the training grounds. So I would say, yeah, no matter what situation you're in, look at it as like, oh, fun. I could be creative now. I can figure out something uh, to make this look good. No, that's, that is, Really well said. And I think it's something that we repeat religiously here at market scale because we're working in B2B media. So many, so many times we get the situation where we're like, well, it's just this video about this product. And if you're, if you trap yourself in that mindset, you've almost already lost the battle, right? Because then you're right. You're not going to, you're not going to create media around this business objective that's going to be engaging and compelling. It is just going to be another video, another take on, on a product. But if you back out, put it in reverse and try to see the bigger picture, like you said, think creativity, think creatively. That's when all those cool opportunities get opened up that you're like, Hey, yes, this video had business objectives, but my 
gosh, is it beautiful? It's compelling. The camera work is incredible. You know, people are listening to the story about what was getting done rather than actually, um, you know, thinking about the business objectives of this video. And that's when the best business is done, frankly, regardless of what you do, is when you're not thinking about it as business. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then another thing is you can be like, okay, I have to get these shots, just these hit points, like get this Y, get this close-up, get these pants, get these tilts, great. And now that we got the basics, like what can I do? Now I can experiment a little. That way it's like if it's not a good shot, it's not like, all right, you blew it. You can be like, all right, I hit what I needed to. Now let me get a little creative. Let me try something new. What have I done before? I already shot this type of thing, this type of way. How could I shoot it differently this time? How can I make this look different so that this video doesn't feel exactly like my old one? Just little things like that to like kind of keep your, your brain going. And it will all transfer and apply to bigger film sets. I mean, it, it, it will. Working little sets in tough environments will make you better when you have all the time and money and, and, and things you need. Because I do both. I've done both. And um, yeah, it 100% transfers. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is. It's a tough life lesson to learn, right? That that little drill, whether it's in sports or in filmmaking or in, or in business, that's what, when you are on the big stages, those little drills are what got you there in the first place. And what helps on the bigger sets is because I know how to work, I came from run and gun, remember? I came from this little thing. Um, and I know how to work with less that I can always bring my services in. Like I can always be under budget. I can always do more with less on bigger productions. I don't need everything in the world. It's like, this is what I'd like. Well, this is all you can have. And it's like, okay, it's going to look just as good. You know, I'm going to make this look great with what I have. And uh, maybe that's a detriment, you know, because <laughs> then they're like, oh, we could just keep giving them less. But I can, I've learned how to make things look as good as things that have a lot of production with less. And and that's a skill that you can't just have. You have to learn from the ground. You have to like come up with that. Sa bringing it back with skateboarding. A lot of the best skateboarders I know come from like rural, like middle of nowhere. Uh, like, like some of the best skateboarders I know are from Idaho, like from Idaho. And it's like, why are Idaho skaters? And you can look them up. There's tons that are, that are at pro level. And it's like, why are Idaho skaters so good? And it's like, cause they had to skate what they had. They didn't have all the skate parks. They didn't have all this. So they're skating like rugged little crap spots. So then we get to the good spots. Like, oh, I've already skated like basically nothing. I've made spots out of nothing. So now that I'm at like a perfect spot in California, they can just kill it because this is like what they, they, they've done it all. So it's like the same mentality, I think. No, I'd agree. I'd agree completely. And Chris, I, I, I just want to thank you again for all of the great insight today and uh, for your no, time. Thank you for having me. No, it was it was a it was a blast. Uh, we're gonna we have to have you back down the road. Yeah, appreciate it. Sorry, some of my answers are a little long because like there were good questions, and I'm like actually formulating my answer. None of it was like, oh, I know this little script to say. I'm just gonna regurgitate. It's like no, I actually had to put some thought, and my ideas were coming to me in the moment of me speaking. So oh, awesome. Well, Chris, thank you again. And, uh, you know, check out future episodes, everybody, of the Creators Manifesto. Uh, we appreciate you being here today. Thank you again to our guest, Chris Murray, and we hope you stop by for the next episode.